Welcome to Camp Glory's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this week's encouraging message by Pastor Sam Fine. For more information, please visit kingofglorycc.com. Have you ever had one of those weeks where uh, things were quite distressing? And not just one thing happened, but several things happened. And <laughs> well, uh, I got some really encouraging news for you. There's an answer to a, a distressing and very difficult situation. And um, if you've ever had one of those weeks, uh, James encourages the believers in the church how to address when things come at you from uh, all directions and you're really very uh, stressed, challenged by things that are happening and that there's, there's a way in which we can walk through distressing and hard times and it works. It works all the time. So turn with me to James chapter 5, verse 13. James 5, verse 13. Uh, I'm going to read this from the, um, the Passion Translation. Do we have that? Or No? No? Okay. Um, verse 13 says this. Are there any believers in your fellowship suffering great hardship and distress. So it kind of hits it right where we are. As a church, James is saying, are, are any of you distressed or are you uh, in very hard times at this very moment? And this, this is what he says. Encourage them to pray. Real simple. It's almost almost like, not trite, but it's like, pray. And, and I read that and I thought, you know, I, you know, when you're going through a distressing situation, you know, sometimes if you just come up and say, well, brother, you ought to pray. They're like, slap, slap, you know, I was like, that's not what I wanted to hear. I didn't want to hear that. I want you to help me. I want you to do something to make it better. But James is saying, pray, as if maybe it works. As if maybe our prayers are powerful. As if maybe our prayers are effective. And then he says, are there, are there anybody, is anybody happy, cheerful ones among you? Encourage them to sing out their praises. Are there any sick among you? It says, then ask the elders of the church to come and pray over the sick and anoint them with oil in the name of our Lord. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick. And the Lord will raise them up. And if they have committed sins, they will be forgiven. So all of a sudden, 
James is kind of laying out the framework that really the answer to just about every situation that we're going through, prayer is the answer. It's the answer. And it's it does seem a little like, well, is there more? I mean, should I jump up and down? I mean, you know, like, it, it's like, it, it seems real simple, but he begins to unpack a life lived by prayer answers the distressing and hard situations that you're going through. And then verse 16 says, confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another and then pray for one another. to be instantly healed. Has, have you ever experienced an offense where um, someone was offended with you or you got offended with them and how an offense can really wound your heart? An offense can actually feel like, you know, an arrow has been shot to your heart. An offense can really cause a, a wound within your heart. And confessing that you're offended or forgiving somebody that has offended you and then praying for one another brings healing to the heart. So not only are we addressing those that are sick, we're also addressing those that hearts get hurt and that are getting healed. And then it's, it's kind of well-rounded because then, you know, to cap it off, to start it off, he says, are you in a distressing and hard situation? Then pray as well. So he's really laying out the framework that really prayer is, is, is going to be the answer to a lot of your situations that, that you're going through. And then it says this, for tremendous power is released. Listen to this. For tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. Listen to that. Power is released through a passionate and heartfelt, earnest, fervent individual that's, that's laying claim to the promises of God. Is it saying power is being dispersed in your situation to bring about good? And then it goes into verse 17. Let's look at this. And then he shifts gears and, and he, he picks a, a, an incredible prophet in the Old Testament as a model for us to really see what prayer is about. But the unique thing about this is that James describes him as an individual just like us who has frailties and has weaknesses. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with human frailties, just like all of us. Elijah was given to doubt and unbelief and even believe in God. Are you really going to protect me and come through for me? Don't you know all the prophets have really been like killed and stoned and I'm the only one left? Are you going to be able to protect me? He struggles with the fear of man with when Jezebel basically says, 
you know, by this time tomorrow, your head's going to be taken off. And he struggled with fear to the point where he ran in the desert. He really wanted to die. So he's struggling with doubt. He's struggling with, at times, unbelief. And he's struggling with fear. He has frailties just like us. But he prayed. And he received supernatural answers. Listen to that. He received supernatural answers. He actually shut the heavens over the land so there would be no rain for three and a half years. He then prayed again and the skies opened over the land so that the rain came again and produced the harvest. What if you believed that every time you prayed, power was released to bring change? Would that make you pray more? If you knew every time you prayed, God released power to bring about change in a distressing or hard situation, would you pray more? I want to share with you what I believe is going to be some effective tools that Paul, that James is unpacking here that's helping us to understand what it means to have an effective prayer life. Because I, I, I would say that a lot of times, and even including myself, my first response is not to go to my knees in prayer when I'm distressed. My first response is saying, oh, help! You know, I mean, and it's like, I, a lot of times my first response is not to engage with God so that power is released. I want to talk with somebody else and help it figure it out. Or I want to try to fret over a little bit or worry about it. But, but James is saying the answer is prayer. So how is your prayer life? Are you engaging with God and are seeing God's power release to affect the things that you're going through? I've been really, I'm, I'm in a season where the, the Lord is really challenging me to up my prayer life. It's, it's, it's been subpar. He's saying it's time. Kick it into gear and pray and engage with me so that the answer that you need is being met by my power. And, and, and when I began to realize that it's just not going through a list of prayer things on my list and kind of going through a rote and just, you know, just saying the words, I'm actually engaging with God. I'm actually kind of like in gear with him. And I'm actually beginning to draw him into my situations to bring about the change that is necessary. So let's look at Elijah and let's look at a situation where when he prayed, something mighty took place. So turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 41. Now, 
I want to set the framework. Elijah had just the encounter with the prophets of, uh, of Baal. And they're all, they've been around the altar and they were trying to call down fire. It didn't work. They had a really hard day. And all of a sudden, Elijah steps up to the plate and cries out to God and God answers with fire. And the fire of God comes down. It, it takes up the offering it burns all the stones and the fire licks all the water around, around the altar. Pretty dramatic moment. So then this happens. All of the Baal prophets are, are killed. And now verse 41. Now Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he crouched down on the earth, put his face between his knees and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go back. Not just one time, go back seven times. And it came about at the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, so that the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while, the sky grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And then the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Jezreel. James is picking a prophet in the Old Testament as an example of an individual that had a model prayer life, but also was beset with weaknesses and challenges just like you and I. There's no difference between us and Elijah. And what we're seeing is, is that there is an encouragement that James is beginning to unfold that, that Elijah was not like a cut above the rest. He was not this special agent, incredible prophet of, of Almighty God. He is just like us, but he discovered how to connect with God upon what he knew God wanted to do, and he was able to pray it through and see God's power released and mighty changes take place. So in that, God is really wanting to encourage us right now to really up the game, to see that those that were in the Bible that like Joshua, that was able to pray and have, have the sun just stay fixated in the sky and not move until they were able to complete the battle. There is powerful things that take place when people are able to effectively engage themselves in prayer with God. So I want to look at five roughly qualities of an effective prayer life. And the first one is this. Having an effective prayer life is that you are focused. 
What we see is we read here, the scripture says he crouched down on the earth and put his face between his knees. No, there are certain times that you have just got to pull away from the busyness of life. You've got to pull away from all of the things that are clamoring at your attention, the endless demands, and you need to press into the Lord. There's times when you just got to put your head between your knees and say, world, for this moment is me and God. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, but he said, but when you pray, go into your inner room. Go into your inner room, like going into this place where there's no distractions. Close the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You know, in getting in, in, into a, a season of focused prayer, it is so easy to get distracted. You know, I, 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 I'm intentionally trying to set aside time every day to pray. And I, you know, I'm starting to learn like my wife, you know, she walks and she prays. She walks and she prays. I mean, all the way through our house. She's, we, I bet she, you know, before I get up in the morning, she's already walked about 10 miles in our house praying. And I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> and so, or is it 10,000 steps? It's 10,000 steps. Well, that's a lot of steps. Five miles, you know, in the house. That's even before I have had a cup of coffee. But, but you know, as, 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 as we're praying and we're engaging with God, it is so easy to get distracted and going on rabbit trails. Do you ever have that? Does that ever happen to you? I mean, it happens to me a lot, but I've got to intentionally apprehend those thoughts, taking them captive and engaging my mind and focused in like a laser beam on that very thing that I'm praying into. And what I'm doing is that I'm laying hold to the promises of God, the will of God for that situation, and I'm pressing into it until I give birth to the promise. So I'm engaged with what God has said. I'm engaged with the, the will of God, and I am waiting attentively to see results. I'm not just sitting there passively thinking, oh God, I hope you hear me right now. I am so engaged with what God's will is that I am believing in my mind's eye, I see the answer coming. I believe that God is getting ready to unpack and release his power to change the situation. How many times when you pray, are you really expecting that the answer is coming? How many times when you pray, are you believing that, that God, at that very moment that you are engaged with him, he is releasing power to bring change? We have to expect, Scripture says, ask and maybe you receive. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. It's not a maybe. God is saying, ask. So in that, we are engaging with God. We're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking, and we're believing that the answer is on the way.
But the beauty of prayer is that even though we have the promises of God, even though we know the will of God, God is saying that he's not just going to do it because it's his will. He's wanting us to engage with the promises to see the power released. It's like, you know, we could say, well, you know what? If, if, if God wants to do something, he could do it. Why do I, do I need to pray if it's his will? It's, it's as if God is waiting for us to engage with him in the promises of God that it might be released on this earth. So it's, it's, it's a way of us, he's wanting to partner with us. He's wanting us to engage with him. He's wanting us to, to realize that to get things done here on this earth, he's needing us to stand on the promises and to believe in it so that God would move mightily. Ezekiel 36 is a really good example of this. He begins to explain in Ezekiel 36, midway through the chapter, of how he's going to renew Israel and how he's going to restore things and how he's going to bless Israel and how he's going to do all these marvelous things in bringing them out of captivity and bringing them to the, to the promised land. And he wants to bless them. But at the very end of this chapter, Ezekiel 36, God says this, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am ready to hear Israel's prayers and to increase the numbers of their flock. What he's saying is that, yeah, I'm getting ready to do all this stuff, but I'm waiting to hear your prayers so that I can get it done for you. It's like, I have so much in my heart I want to do, but it's like as if he's drawing us into the relationship and he's saying, I want to hear your prayers now. Are you going to come into an agreement with what I want to do to see it released on this earth and change your situation? It's a beautiful relationship. It's like we don't have just God who's like up there and he's got all these great plans and he'll do what he wants to do. So why do I need to pray? He's saying, I simply want you to agree with me. Stand in the gap, be motivated, be inspired by what I'm doing, but begin to, it's Andrew Murray said this. You ever heard of Andrew Murray? He's an old guy, you know, back many years ago. But he said this, it's as though the promises are waiting for prayer for their fulfillment. No, isn't that awesome? It's as if the promises are waiting for the prayer for the fulfillment and the release of them. So the first example, first part of having an effective prayer life is get focused. Get your mind set on the things of God, on the promises of God. The next thing is effective prayers. Having an effective prayer life is that you're expectant. Elijah made sure when the servant came back and forth, back and forth seven times, he was looking for the change. He was looking for the sky to be different than just a bluebird sky. He was expectant and believing that what he was praying, God was 
demonstrating and releasing the, pro, the, the power even as he was having his servant go back and forth. I mean, you got to think about it. How many times do we pray over a situation and we give up when we don't have the answer right away? How many times are we backing off and saying, well, maybe God didn't hear me. Maybe I didn't pray it right. Maybe he just doesn't like me. I don't know. But how many times have we prayed about a situation and we gave up way too early? When God is saying, I really want you to engage with me, be persistent with me, and be expectant that I'm getting ready to do something. And I believed that if we knew that our answer was on the way, that we wouldn't give up. We would stand firm and know that, yeah, it might tarry. I might be having to wait a little bit. But I know that the answer is on its way. I'm expecting it to manifest in my situation because my God cannot fail me. But he is long-suffering, and he is very patient to release the promises. I don't understand that. But he sometimes it says he's gracious to wait. That sounds so funny. He's gracious to wait to answer prayer on our behalfs. But there's something in the waiting that, that is producing in us, and it's I'm sure we're getting more uh, supernatural muscle strength as we're waiting on him. But there's a reality that, that in the waiting, is not, it does not mean that God has not heard you. There's a timing to everything. And in that, as we wait upon him, he will be faithful. So I encourage you not to give up. How many have been praying for a situation and not seen any results yet? I got good news. Keep praying. Because it's coming. Stay engaged with the promises and the will of God. And things are going to change. And you know, he changes the situation, but also he's changing you. He's making you into a new woman, a new man. So actively, it. To, to be expectant is that you are monitoring the progress and the results of your prayer life. You're waiting to see some, some a blip on the screen that's showing you, whoo, there's activity. I see God moving. Are you staying engaged and, and looking for the signs that are, are, are telling you that God is on the move? Power is being released. Do you see with the eyes that see and see the result of what you're praying for? I mean, this is vital because if we don't believe that God is actually doing a Jehovah sneaky and in the midst of all that you're praying, he actually is bringing it about for good. You can get discouraged and you can lose heart and you've, you, you're realizing, oh, I'm patiently waiting, but I'm not getting the answers. We have to be assured that God answers prayer. And 
And it's important that we don't look at things in the natural. He kept saying to the servant, go back. It's coming. Go back. Seven times. Go back. And then finally, well, I see a little cloud. It's like the size of a man's hand. It's it. That's it. He just saw it. Go tell Ahab. Hurry up. Get in your chariot and go to Jezreel. It just took, I mean, that's not a very big cloud. I mean, that's really small. Think about it. Come on. A cloud the size of a man's hand? That's not big. But that was all the indication that Elijah needed. Game on. And the rain came. That, that was small. I always read, I think, yeah, that is small. I think, out over an ocean, sky is blue. And you see this little tiny speck the size of a man's hand. And he can say, it's on. Number three, having an effective prayer life is being specific. In your, be a laser beam in your prayer. He said, Lord, stop the rain. And then three years and six months, the rain stopped. He said, Lord, start the rain. And specifically, the rain began. Be specific in your prayers. Focus the will, the mind, the heart of God on your situations and be specific. I, I always think about this because it's it so... It blessed me just to understand the loving heart of, of God. When we first moved up here to Asheville, North Carolina, um, we left our, our golden retriever in, in Atlanta. It was, a, it was a puppy, but it was a 100-pound puppy that, you know, when he wagged his tail, the kids would go flying, you know, and, and he chewed up everything, and he was a delight. His name was Judah, and he was a love bug, but we just, we left him. We couldn't handle him. He was just, he was just a, out of control. And, and when we got up here and we moved, and we're, we're up in our house in Weaverville, and I can remember one night, one of our children was crying in bed because they, they missed Judah. And the kids were, we missed Judah. So they're crying. The kids, it's a chorus of cries. I mean, they're really upset. And it is, it's breaking my heart. And, and I said, honey, I said, I, I think we need to get a new dog. Well, Eliza's a wonderful, loving person, but animals is not like her real strength of where, what she loves, you know? So, she said, that can't be God. I'm not going to, we're not going to get another dog. I said, honey, the kids' hearts are breaking. They're upset. We've got to do something. And I said, okay, honey, listen, how about we pray and we ask the Lord specifically within two weeks if God wants us to have another dog for the kids. Because so I said, you know, they we've all paid a price in coming up here to the mountains. And um, and I I I just, you know, 
He cares about our kids just like he cares about us. So she said, okay, all right, we'll pray. Ask for two weeks, no more than two weeks, if God wants us to have another dog. Well, all of a sudden we, um, you know, some time went by and, um, and we had a, a, a home group um, in our home and, and young ladies would drive from Montreal College. 13 of them, I remember, would come up to our house in Weaverville and we'd have a wonderful time of fellowship and break bread and, and, um, and do laundry and all kinds of things. It was <laughs> quite an event. Yeah, 13 girls are bringing their laundry, you know, so we're, we're, we, we had a wonderful time. But all of a sudden, there's this lady um, right before one of our home group meetings. She comes walking down my driveway, and she says, Sir, sir, uh, I know you don't know me, but you might know my dog. I said, your dog? She says, yeah. He's this little, little Dotson, and he, whenever he gets loose, he always runs down to your house and he always has a tennis ball in his mouth. And I said, I remember him. Yeah, he's so cute. Yeah, she said, and um, I am, you know, I'm getting older and, and I can't take care of him very well. He's, he's, he's three years old. He's, um, he's fixed and he loves children and I would like to give him to you. And I said, what? Really? And I said, and she said, his name is Duke. And when, when I go up to the house, I'll let him loose. And I know he's going to run down here. So would you like to have him? And in my mind, I'm sitting there thinking, we just prayed about this. And all of a sudden, I said, sure, go, go let him loose. Let him come on down. So... <laughs> So, so Duke comes running on down to our house and, uh, and I opened the door and I let Duke in and, uh, the, the lady came in and I said, honey, here's our neighbor. And she's, she's got a beautiful little dog named Duke and he's little dots and he's right here running around. He's so loving. And honey, do you know what day is today? Two weeks to the day we prayed. <laughs> It's two weeks to the day we prayed. And I said, honey, it's got to be God. I said, so can we have Duke? And then she said, well, how can I argue with God? It's two weeks of the day. So I said, kids, we got a dog. And they went, yeah! They went screaming and they went running through the house. And, and we got a new puppy. So... Be specific in your prayers. <laughs> you know, when Jesus, you know, when he was moving along in a crowd, he came to someone who was ob obviously was ill and sick. And he asked that person, what would you have me do for you? I mean, like, like the person, what do you mean? I'm crippled, you know, I'm sick. I, I need healing. But he said, specifically, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus was looking for a specific response. He wanted the person to say, I need you 
to heal my body of this ailment. And the request was given to him, and he was healed. Number four, effective prayers are earnest. This is so important. It says that Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain. So what does it mean to be earnest? It's important to understand that earnest prayer is a, is a key component to having an effective prayer life. And being earnest, it's like you are engaging with God. You are connected with God. You're, you're, you're like taking God by his shirt collar and saying, God, you and me, buddy, you're engaged with him and you are speaking and declaring the promise. It's as if earnest means that you're praying a prayer within a prayer. It's actually something in which your whole heart is engaged with God and you're connected. Your prayers just aren't trite, trivial, ritualistic uh, things that you're reading off a list. You're just not kind of like doing your duty. You're actually engaging with God Almighty. And you are connecting with Him, earnestly crying out to Him and believing for the answer to your prayer. Earnest prayer comes from a heart that is engaged with God, connected to God. You are actually connecting with God Almighty. And you're not just praying by rote or just going through the motions. You are actually moving the heart and mind of God as you are focused in on Him. God gets, you get God's attention when you are earnest, when you are desiring to see things be changed. Number five, effective prayers are persistent. In other words, Elijah kept praying even though the sky was still a bluebird sky. He kept sending his servant back and forth. He was persistent, and he was not going to take no for an answer. Luke eleven five says this, And when he had said to them, Jesus was sharing a parable, and then he said to them, suppose one of you had a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a long journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut. My children are in bed and I cannot get up and give you anything. And I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. You are not to be denied of the answer that you are going for. You will not be denied. You will not give up. You will persistently engage with God and are believing for a mighty breakthrough. But how many times do we give up when we're not seeing the answer? And we're thinking, you know what? 
if I pray may, maybe more than one time, maybe I'm not in faith. You know, some people say, well, I have asked for it and I'm believing for it, but I only did it one time. And if I pray anymore, that means maybe I'm showing a lack of faith. Maybe I'm showing that I really don't believe that God's going to answer. There is clear examples of another parable. You guys remember the unrighteous judge? He hated man, he hated God. And then you had a, a, he hated man, he hated God. And then all of a sudden you have a, a, a widow who had a situation that was just very precarious. She wanted protection. And basically the judge relents, gives her the protection because she was so persistent and not giving up. And he said, if I don't give it to her, she's going to wear me out. I mean, there's example after example after example of parables in the word that Jesus is saying, I want you to be persistent. I want you to be persistent in what you're praying for and do not give up. Don't let go. Hold on. But then all of a sudden, we're, 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 we come face to face with the scripture. And Isaiah says, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. How blessed are those that wait for him. He's waiting to be gracious. That sounds so contrary. He's waiting to be gracious. But there's sometimes he's waiting. I don't understand. I don't know why the, the prayers aren't answered instantly. But there's times in the waiting that God's doing a beautiful work, not only in your situation, but in you. And you are being just as impacted by the situation that is going on. So in the waiting, God releases the promises of God. So there's times when it does not happen immediately. So my encouragement to you is this, don't give up. Keep on going. Keep pressing into him. Keep expecting and waiting and believing that you're seeing that hand as small as a man's hand in the sky. Continue on because spiritual muscle strength is being developed in you that is taking you from glory to glory. And in that, the answer that you're laying hold to will not just all of a sudden not happen. You're laying your hands to the horns of the altar. And you're saying, God, you've got to show up. And in that, you are so engaging with God that the it's like he just longs to release the answer to what you're crying out for. But it is on the way. And do not give up. But these are keys to having an effective prayer life that is actually, as I said, as a word says, it's releasing power to change the situations that you're going through in life. And I believe, church, that as we're moving into a season at the end on uh, Friday, February 28th, we're going to have 24 hours of prayer here. We're going to have people assigned to each hour that are going to take on themes and what's on the heart of the Lord. And we're going to begin to pray in the purposes of God. 
in this church, in our city, in our nation, and we're going to see God move. I believe getting together and us uniting in prayer, we're going to see mighty things happen. Bring your sleeping bags, bring whatever, plan to stay all night because we are going to engage with God and powerful things are going to happen. And it's going to launch us into 40 days of fasting and praying, which is going to be praying for the harvest. It's going to be praying for the souls that God's bringing into the kingdom. It's believing for a billion soul harvest that has been prophesied over and spoken over. It is believing that God is wanting to send us. And I think the challenge is going to be in those 40 days. In those 40 days, everyone here is going to at least make 10 attempts to share the gospel with somebody. 10 opportunities that you can share Jesus with somebody that's lost, somebody that's hurting. In those 40 days, if all of us can have 10 opportunities that we can share the good news, I believe things are getting ready to happen. I mean, you know, we set goals for us, you know, in our own employment, in our jobs, and and goals to, to accomplish various things. Why can't we make a goal to see a lot of souls one in this church? Why can't we in a year's period believe that maybe a hundred souls could come to Jesus? Why not? Why not? Why can't we believe for a hundred souls? Why can't we believe that Jesus wants to reach the lost? I think that's a challenge actually. In this year's period, that we would all 10 times share the good news, however it might be. I'm excited, church. I'm telling you what, your prayers matter. And it shifts the atmosphere. And power is released. I mean, I think it's a good thing that when you wake up every morning, you are the devil's worst nightmare because you are engaging heaven and praying down fire that things happen in your life. Let's just wake up and give him a black eye every day. Let's just go. We're going to go out with a bang here. (laughs) Let's just go for it. So let's all stand. Let's worship or let's whatever. Oh, Father, we thank you and we praise you that, Lord, the Lord Elijah was a man just like us, who was frail and weak. But, God, he knew how to engage with you and release power to change things. Lord, I pray for this church that our prayer lives would come up a level. That, Lord, we would choose to believe that God You want to do mighty things through me as I pray. Father, I pray that faith would arise in this place. That, Lord, we would begin to see mighty things happen as we prevail, are persistent, are expectant, are believing, are focused, and we know, God, 
that you're a God that answers prayer. So Lord, we bless you and we praise you and we thank you for all that you're going to do in Jesus' name.